0: Today's broadcast originally aired on November 15th, 2023. Every year that we procrastinate and don't start moving to clean electric technologies is a year that those companies make profits. In the last few years, they've actually made record profits like they never have before. And so staying on this fossil fuel trajectory is in the interest of a small number of people Mm. who are burning up the planet just so that they can continue to
1: make profits. Mm -hmm. Small number of people, eh? With a whole lot of money. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. from pacifica radio in los angeles this is the broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in la also in red bluff and redding on kfoi and round mountains kkrn up in oregon on the central coast on KYAQ, cottage groves queso eugene's kepw And Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, not that it needs a blanket. <laughs> I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all around swell fellow, says me from BradBlog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Okay, fact check. Hi, Desi Doyen. You're going gonna to like this fact check. Oh, good. Or hate this fact check. I'm not sure. Take your pick. Uh, I, I've been sort of walking around with this one for a, at least a week, I think two weeks at this point, and I've had to cut it every day because of some breaking news or nightmare or another. So today, Des, yes. I'm putting it right at the top, so I can't cut it if only because it at least cursorily, is actually related to what I want to talk about and what we'll be having not one but two guests to join us to discuss shortly.
2: Okay, as long as there's no new breaking news. So everybody stop.
1: Yeah, no breaking news. I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to turn my phone over (laughs) right now. There we go. Now, uh, unfortunately, uh, it, it starts with Donald Trump. Former President Donald Trump, according to CNN, now a candidate for the Republican presidential nomination and, incredibly enough, still leading the leading one at that, falsely claimed in a speech in Texas, of all places, which has all sorts of actual problems with its electric grid, Trump claimed that California, my great state of California had widespread blackouts this past summer because the states just didn't have sufficient electricity to meet demand. Now that is a lie,
3: but here's what he said. They want to go all electric, even though we don't have enough electricity to uh, cool down California in the summers. You see, they had blackouts all over the place. This summer was a disaster. The winters, no good. Have, the whole thing is
1: crazy. Yes, the whole thing is crazy. And no, I didn't see that, California having those blackouts all summer, because it's completely untrue. It's a complete and utter lie.
2: Did not happen.
1: Now, I know, lies from Donald Trump, who would have thought? What a shock. But in fact, yes, we had no blackouts in California this summer, though Texas, by the way, where Trump was speaking, came wildly close to having a lot of them, as I recall, but for renewable energy energy like wind and solar and battery storage that kind of saved their asses in Texas, as I understand that. Yes, a- am I right about you that? You are
2: correct about that, that wind and solar and batteries bailed out Texas
1: during their record long, hot summer in the Lone Star State. A CNN, uh, the CNN fact checkers Dan Dale and Ellen Nilsson reported, much more politely than me, that Donald <laughs> Trump's claim is false. CNN quoted a Spokesperson for California Governor Gavin Newsom, who said in an email, quote, California didn't experience any outages this year because of a load imbalance. We haven't since 2020. That, according to spokesperson Aaron Mellon, who added, quote, we've drastically expanded our clean energy portfolio. And recently, California hit 6600 megawatts of battery storage. Enough for 6.6 million homes for four hours.
2: Now, see, that is a measure of how battery storage can help to prevent these blackouts. And back in 2020, that blackout was caused by a natural gas plant tripping offline. So these battery storage facilities that are building Mm -hmm. in California will help prevent those blackouts the next time a natural gas plant trips offline. So
1: uh, if, if regular power sources go out for any reason or if they're just not enough they are immediately replaced by the electricity that is stored by these batteries to fill any potential gaps in service. Instantly. As CNN reported back in August when Trump made a similar false claim that California was, quote, in a, quote, big brownout. The state was also aided this summer by the large quantity of snow and rain that fell in the winter and spring, which refilled reservoirs that generate electricity using hydropower, yes, another clean energy source that Donald Trump doesn't, well, seems to oppose in favor of deadly fossil fuels. Vonette Fontaine, spokesperson for the California Independent System Operator, which manages the power grid for 80% of the state, said in an email to CNN, quote, The California Independent System Operator did not experience any grid emergencies this summer requiring electricity outages. Now, Trump's campaign did not, for some reason, respond to a CNN request (laughs) for any examples of the supposed, quote, blackouts all over the place this summer. You saw that, right? No, no one saw it. Can't imagine why they didn't respond. Now, there are sporadic local outages around the country because of maintenance work and weather damage and accidents and equipment failures. Uh, That's all over the country. California is no exception. We also have a practice out here now, thankfully, of precautionary power shutoffs in order to thwart wildfires. Maybe that's what Trump thought he was talking about, but that's on purpose. To prevent wind from blowing down power lines like the kind that have, you know, resulted in deadly fires across the state in recent years amid a years long drought uh, that largely ended over this past year, for now, anyway. But Trump claimed that California had widespread blackouts this past summer because it could not produce enough electricity with their so called clean energy, which is thoroughly. Inaccurate. Mark Tony, the executive director of the Utility Reform Network, a ratepayer advocacy group in California, told CNN that his group often finds itself at odds with the governor's office on energy policy. But, quote, in this case, I concur with the governor's office. There were zero blackouts during the summer last year. And he said that California generates sufficient electricity together with effective load management to meet summer peak load. But hey, Republicans like Donald Trump and pretty much all of the others, I'm sorry to say, receive millions of campaign dollars from the fossil fuel industry to tell those lies. So, yeah. Donald Trump is you will be shocked to learn just making stuff up in order to help his fossil fuel friends and, yes, funders. Meanwhile, those lies obscure the very real dangers that all of us are now facing in California, in Texas, and everywhere else in these United States. On yesterday's program, as the uh, news on on this report was just breaking, we we touched on this massive 2,200-page fifth national climate assessment that was released by the United States government. It's a uh, report that is now mandated by Congress every four or five years, and the one that was released by the Biden administration on Tuesday was a doozy explaining how climate change now permeates Americans' daily lives with harm that is, quote, already far-reaching and worsening across every region of the United States. The 37-chapter assessment includes an interactive atlas that zooms down to the county level to find that climate change is affecting Americans' security, health, and livelihoods in every corner of the country, but in different ways with minority and Native American communities often disproportionately at risk. As AP's Seth Borenstein and Tammy Weber summarize, for example, in Alaska, which is warming two to three times faster than the global average, reduced snowpack, shrinking glaciers, thawing permafrost, acidifying oceans, and disappearing sea ice have affected everything from the state's growing season to hunting and fishing with projections raising questions about whether some indigenous communities will need to be relocated entirely. The U.S. Southwest is experiencing more drought and extreme heat, including 31 consecutive days this summer when Phoenix's daily high temperature reached or exceeded 110 degrees, reducing water supplies and increasing wildfire risks. Northeastern cities are seeing more extreme heat, flooding, poor air quality as well as risks to infrastructure while drought and floods exacerbated by climate change threaten farming and ecosystems in rural areas. In the Midwest, both extreme drought and flooding threaten crops and animal production which can affect the global food supply. In the northern Great Plains, weather extremes like drought and flooding, as well as declining water resources, threaten an economy dependent largely on crops and cattle and energy production and recreation. Meanwhile, water shortages in parts of the southern Great Plains are projected to worsen, while high temperatures are expected to break records by mid-century. In the southeast... Didn't forget about you. Minority and native communities who may live in areas with higher exposure to extreme heat, pollution and flooding have fewer resources to prepare for or to escape the effects of climate change. In the northwest. Hotter days and nights that don't cool down much have resulted in drier streams and less snowpack, leading to increased risk of drought and wildfires. The climate disturbance has also brought damaging extreme rain to the region. Then there's Hawaii and other Pacific islands. We all remember what happened in Maui. But Hawaii, Pacific Islands, other, and, and as well as the U.S. Caribbean, they are all, are all increasingly vulnerable to the extremes of both drought and heavy rain, as well as sea level rise and natural disaster as temperatures warm. Of course, that assessment is just for the U.S., which is now projected to warm in the near future about 40% more than the world as a total. The assessment said that is thanks in no small part to being one of the world's greatest greenhouse gas emitters. Climate scientist Catherine Hayhoe on the PBS NewsHour last night talked about the new National Climate Assessment and the dangers that it details in every corner of the US.
4: So often we refer to climate change as global warming, which references the increase in the average temperature of the entire planet. But how we as individuals experience it is through what I call global weirding. In other words, wherever we live, our weather is getting weird. Our droughts are more intense and lasting longer. Our summer heat seems endless. In other places we see heavy downpours and increases in flash flooding. Wherever we live, our lives are being touched by how climate change is loading the weather dice against
1: us. I am guessing that everyone listening to this program today would be able to identify that global weirding that uh, Catherine Hayhoe talks about that they, in their own community. That oh, we didn't used to have weather like this.
2: Yeah, it's true. People we didn't used, it.
1: We didn't used to have mosquitoes here in Los Angeles. We do now. Hotter average temperatures mean weather that is even more extreme to come and more expensive. Last year alone, according to the report, saw more than $178 billion in damage from climate-related disasters here in the U.S. And so far this year, we have set a record with 25 different weather disasters so far that cost at least $1 billion each and most Far more expensive than that.
2: And the year is not even over yet.
1: But as both the report and many scientists commenting on the new climate assessment noted, all is not yet lost. At least if we stop listening to the billion-dollar liars like Donald Trump, liars for the fossil fuel companies like Trump and Far too many others in his party, I am sorry to say, as climate and energy policy researcher Leah Stokes told CNN on Tuesday.
0: This can all feel overwhelming, right? A lot of numbers, these really doomsday scenarios. But the fact is that what you really need to understand is that we have the technologies we need to solve this problem. We have electric vehicles, right? We have heat pumps to heat our homes, to heat our hot water systems. We have solar panels. We have batteries. We have wind turbines. There are so many things that we can deploy at a massive pace that we haven't been doing fast enough. But if we do that, we don't have to rely on fossil fuels. We have the technology. We need, and so all we have to do is deploy them very quickly so that we can get off fossil fuels as fast as possible.
1: We have the technologies that we need to get off of fossil fuels. We have to deploy those technologies right now, big time, because it's going to be a lot cheaper in not just money, but in lives, cheaper and safer than it is already costing U.S. taxpayers, as noted, $178 billion last year on climate-related damage, and we ain't seen nothing yet. Along with the release of yesterday's climate assessment, as we also noted, the Biden administration announced another $6 billion in new investments to, quote, make communities across the country more resilient to climate change, Focused on key climate goals, including modernizing our aging electric grid to withstand extreme weather. Well, there's an idea. Reducing flood risks to communities, improving drought resilience, support conservation for our national parks, and advancing environmental justice for disadvantaged communities because they're the ones always left behind, the president said. So, problems? Problems? And solutions. We can do this. Oh, yeah. Can we do this, Brad? What about China? What about China? They're (laughs) they're not going to do they're the biggest polluters and they're not doing anything about it. We have heard Republicans telling us that, of course, for years. Well, guess what? A, that's not actually true. But B, the Biden administration is also working on that as well, and they do not need to lie to the American people in order to do it. According to Lisa Friedman, no relation, unfortunately, at the, uh, at the New York Times, the United States and China, the world's two largest climate polluters, have agreed to jointly tackle global warming by ramping up wind, solar, and other renewable energy with the goal of displacing fossil fuels. Oh, don't tell Donald Trump. This uh, announcement came on Tuesday as President Biden was preparing to meet Wednesday in Northern California with President Xi Jinping of China for their first face-to-face discussion in a year. The climate agreement between the two nations could emerge as a bright spot in talks that are likely to focus on topics including Taiwan, the war in Ukraine, and the war between Israel and Hamas. The statements of cooperation released on Tuesday do not include a promise by China to phase out its heavy use of coal, that's the dirtiest fossil fuel, or to stop permitting and building new coal plants. That's been a sticking point for the U.S. in months of discussion with Beijing on climate change, according to the Times. However, both countries agreed to, quote, pursue efforts to triple renewable energy capacity globally by 2030. That growth should reach levels high enough, quote, so as to accelerate the substitution for coal, oil and gas generation, the agreement says. Both countries anticipate, quote, meaningful absolute power sector emission reduction in this decade, it says. That appears to be the first time that China has agreed to at least cut emissions in any part of its economy. By adding all of this renewable energy, uh, they hope, they say, at least, to uh, substitute that energy for coal, oil, and gas generation.
2: And it's also important to remember that China annually invests far more in building wind and solar capacity in China than the rest of the world combined.
1: They have been aggressively adding renewable energy production in in recent years.
2: And this agreement is the first time that China has agreed to set any limits whatsoever that it's going to publicly announce rather than just keep their emissions cuts internal.
1: The agreement comes two weeks before representatives from nearly 200 countries will converge in Dubai as part of the United Nations Annual Climate Talks, known this year as COP28, that would be the 28th...
2: Conference of Parties, uh-huh. C-O-P, uh-huh. COP, Conference of Cop, Parties of right. the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. So that's why we call it COP28 yeah, for Yeah, catchy, catchy,
1: catchy, <laughs> catchy name. The U.S. and China have an outsized role to play there as nations debate once again whether to finally call for a phase-out of fossil fuel, according to the Times. That's been a thing year after year after year that they fight about every time. Should we make it formal? Should we say it out loud that we want to get rid of fossil fuels once and for all? And somehow or another, the fossil fuel industry just seems to pull it off each year and keep that part out of uh, their, their statement at the end of their conference. David Sandalow, a veteran of the Clinton and Obama administration, who is now a fellow at Columbia University's Center on Global Energy Policy, says the new agreement between the U.S. and China, quote, lays the foundation for the negotiations in Dubai and sends a strong signal to other countries that this language works and more broadly that differences can be overcome. How? Well, they don't even need to necessarily talk about getting rid of fossil fuels if they, you know, double, triple, quadruple down on renewable energies. Everyone knows fossil fuel is, well, a dinosaur fuel. It's on its way out, but we have to have something to replace it with. And we do if we bother to just deploy it. While the U.S. has displaced some of its fossil fuels by increasing solar and wind power, China has been building... As Desi noted, more renewable energy than any other country. But at the same time, it's also been constructing new coal-fired power plants. Still, many of those Chinese coal-fired plants are expected to operate at less than full capacity. And the International Energy Agency, or IEA, predicted last month that China's use of coal will drop in the next several years and possibly as soon as next year. How? Well... Thanks to renewable energy. Uh, According to uh, UK's carbon brief, that's in part because of record installations of low carbon electricity that the analysis found could be enough to meet rising electricity demand. Displacing fossil fuels, as described in the U.S.-China agreement, noted Sandalow, would allow the countries to share knowledge as they both work to add more renewable power to their electric grids and invest in energy storage and better transmission. The U.S., the biggest climate polluter in history, and China, the world's current largest polluter, Together, the U.S. and China, well, we account for 38 percent of the world's greenhouse gases. So agreements like this could eventually, hopefully soon, begin to bend the curve, at least, to tackle our quickly worsening climate crisis as detailed in, oh, I don't know, about 2200 pages on Tuesday in the alarming fifth national uh, climate assessment report as released by the Biden administration as they announced another $6 billion yesterday to both curb emissions and mitigate against the worst effects of global warming in the U.S. But, the Times notes, leaders in China are also acutely aware of the partisan divide in America on climate change and have little confidence that a future administration would keep promises made by Mr. Biden now. Even when Donald Trump is not president, he's still breaking everything. Most, and it's not just him, most Republican presidential candidates, the Times notes, refuse to even acknowledge the well-established science of climate change. And the current frontrunner, Donald Trump, has promised to halt all climate action and encourage more drilling, gas fracking, and coal mining. So how can we press forward if half of the nation or at least half of our politicians do not even recognize the reality of climate change? Or if they do, they don't care and they just want to make it worse. Well, hopefully all is not yet lost there either. Matthew Lee of the Evangelical Environmental Network wrote recently in The Hill about, quote, the global climate solution Republicans have been looking for. Mm, Really? We will see if he is right about that, as both Matthew Lee and Reverend Dr. Jessica Mormon, the president and CEO of the Evangelical Environmental Network. Yes, there is such a thing as they both join us next on the broadcast to explain all of the above. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial.
2: And thanks.
1: Hey, this is Brad. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As the New York Times notes today, global warming caused by human activities, mostly the burning of oil, gas, and coal, is raising average temperatures in the United States more quickly than it is across the rest of the planet. The food we eat and the roads we drive on, our health and safety, our cultural heritage, natural environments, and economy Nearly every cherished aspect of American life is now under growing threat from climate change, and it is effectively too late to prevent many of the harms from worsening over the next decade, according to the massive, at times both terrifying and hopeful report issued on Tuesday by the U.S. government called the National Climate Assessment. It is the government's premier compilation of scientific knowledge on what all of this means for the country and how Americans are responding to it. The message is stark and unmistakable. And yet, as we saw in the recent GOP presidential primary debate, the topic of climate change was not even raised by any of the candidates on the stage. And shamefully... Moderators from NBC News failed to ask any questions about the topic, even as the debate took place in Miami, of all places. One of the major U.S. cities most immediately threatened by rising sea levels and increasingly ferocious storms, fueled by warming oceans due to the global burning of fossil fuels. But there may be hope, even for Republicans, At least according to Matthew Lee of the Evangelical Environmental Network. He notes in an op-ed last week at The Hill headlined The Global Solution Republicans Have Been Looking For that a trio of Republican senators have introduced a bill that could be a win-win for reducing global carbon emissions and advancing our economy. What at the same time? The Foreign Pollution Fee Act of 2023, co-sponsored by Senators Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and Roger Wicker of Mississippi, would charge certain industrial and energy imports a fee if they are more emissions intensive than equivalent American products. Now, we discussed a similar so-called carbon border adjustment tax finally being implemented by the EU last week on one of our Green News reports with the aim of putting a fair price on carbon emitted during production of carbon intensive goods that are made in other countries and then enter the EU. Matthew Lee argues in The Hill that a foreign pollution import fee here on goods imported into the U.S. is, quote, long overdue, as he goes on to assert that higher environmental standards for U.S. companies have long put American companies at a competitive disadvantage. As noted, he suggests the legislation would be win-win for all sides for U.S. manufacturing and for the globe if it is done right. So could this really be at least a foothold, a turning point of some sort for Republican climate change policy? And is it something that Democrats could join them in getting behind, at least if Cassidy, Graham and Wicker are able to grow support for this measure? (sighs) Joining us now is Matthew Lee, Federal Policy Specialist at the Evangelical Environmental Network and Reverend Dr. Jessica Mormon, an earth and atmospheric scientist, a board member of the National Association of Evangelicals and now president and CEO of the Evangelical Environmental Network, or EEN, a nonprofit with the mission of educating, equipping, and mobilizing evangelical Christians to reclaim the biblical mandate of caring for creation and work toward a stable climate and healthy, pollution-free world. Well, that sounds easy. Welcome both of you uh, to the broadcast. Thanks for having us on, Brad. Uh, Matthew, let me uh, let me start with uh, w- with the policy proposal at hand first, and then Jessica. I want to expand the conversation into both the surprising questions uh, around this policy coming from the Republican side of the aisle, as well. Uh, I want to talk about the work that EEN has been doing for so many years. Uh, Matthew, how does a carbon border adjustment fee? or tax. I know Republicans don't like that word, but uh, how does it actually work? Just sort of on the basic level, what would we actually be taxing in such a proposal?
5: Yeah, that's a great question, Brad. And I think first, before answering that question, we have to take a step back and ask, what's the problem that we're actually trying to solve here, right? Um, And as you mentioned earlier, I think, so the problem is that, um, you know, for many decades, we've had Our country has had higher environmental standards than other countries, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And as a a result, um, there there have been studies that have shown that American products are actually among the cleanest products in the world. The problem is that because our companies are held to higher standards, Mm -hmm. there's an incentive for companies to offshore their factories Mm -hmm. and take advantage of looser regulations abroad in order to increase profits. Um, And so you can see that over the last two decades, we've lost 5 million jobs. Um, Of course, not all the jobs are due to, uh, you know, differences in environmental regulations, Mm -hmm. but some significant fraction of it probably is. And, you know, 5 million jobs is actually like losing all the jobs in in a state like Georgia or North Carolina, Mm -hmm. which uh rank eight or ninth in terms of the the number of uh, employed workers in the country mm-hmm. so it's not insignificant and and you've seen that a lot of communities in the country have been just devastated by deindustrialization and offshoring right right and so so this is a problem that uh, uh carbon border adjustment or foreign pollution fee or whatever you want to call it um addresses so the solution is pretty simple if companies have an incentive to offshore their factories to take advantage of looser regulations abroad. mm -hmm. Let's just charge them a fee when they want to import their products back into the U S so that they can't make their products cheaper abroad Mm -hmm. and uh, compete with companies um, that are making their products uh, in, in the U S. So, and so,
1: Go ahead. No, if so, if I understand it basically, uh, if you make a, a product here in the U.S. and it costs more because of environmental regulations, you can make it elsewhere without those environmental regulations for cheaper, it's uh, more inexpensive than for American companies to buy. Um, but this would actually place a tax essentially on the difference between what it would cost to create that. Cleaner product here versus the one overseas—is is that right? Exactly,
5: exactly. And if you look at the bill specifically, what uh-huh. it does is it um, puts a charge or a fee on products if their emissions intensity uh-huh. exceeds an, an equivalent American product by, um, let's say, fifty percent. And over time, that uh, percentage ramps down. But basically, the bottom line is if it's a if it's dirtier or more emissions intensive than American products, mm-hmm. then they have to pay a fee.
1: Now, that would also essentially raise prices for American consumers, would it not? In other words, a case can be made that this is going to be good for U.S. manufacturing and, and for jobs, um, you know, or even for other developing countries that are already reducing their emissions. But wouldn't it hurt uh, both uh, American consumers and some of those developing nations, uh, you know, who, who aren't putting in place these same sort of climate controls?
5: Yeah, th- those are great questions. And I would I would break those up into two questions, right? One is whether it hurts American consumers mm-hmm. and the other one is whether it hurts developing countries. And mm-hmm. we have to address those separately. And uh, so the first question, as I note in the article, a lot of people uh note that it's going to raise prices, but you know, first of all, you know, the American consumer is not a monolith, right? Mm-hmm. Prices are only consumer prices are only one half the cost of living equation. You have you have the prices that you have to pay, mm-hmm. but also you have your income that you have to factor into the cost of living. And for a lot of communities, especially in um you know states that have been ravaged by deindustrialization that have lost their jobs, mm-hmm. uh, even though prices might be slightly lower, it doesn't really matter to them because they've lost their jobs. And so they can't afford uh, to buy anything. Right. And so mm-hmm. the consumers, you know, are, are not a monolith. there are many consumers that have uh, been ravaged by job losses and mm-hmm. this would bring jobs back home and, and help them create, you know, family sustaining careers and afford products, uh-huh. so that's the first part of uh, your question. And the second part is for for developing countries. There is a concern that um, if we don't allow them to import products into the U.S., then wouldn't that hurt their development?
3: Right. That
5: is a fair concern. And the bill actually addresses this by um, including specific, uh, you know, ex- exemptions mm. uh, whereby developing countries can form international partnerships with us. I, I do know that I think uh, this, this bit of the bill should be carefully designed because if the exemptions are expanded too much, yeah, then that could defeat the purpose of right. the bill. Right? right. Yeah. If everyone forms international partnerships with us and, and gets the exemptions, then, you know, we might as well not have the bill in the we're, first We're place. back
1: to where we started, uh, Matthew. Before I get to uh, Jessica here, very quickly, you argue in the op-ed as well that the uh, benefits here are not just economic, and I want to make sure that uh, even though that's you know one of the focuses here, because you know as you describe it, it's a a, a Republican bill that you know a, a climate bill that Republicans can finally get behind. But let's uh, hit very quickly the non-economic benefits uh, as you see them. Um, and are they in line with the interests of the Republicans that surprisingly, frankly, are introducing, happily reducing, uh, in introducing this measure?
5: Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, as evangelicals ourselves, we care for, you know, the health of uh, and lives of everyone around the world. And this bill would actually protect uh, exactly that. Right. So I'll give mm-hmm. you some stats In in 2018. So fossil fuel pollution, like soot, or PM2.5, killed 8 million people around the world. Mm. So that actually counts for one in five deaths in 2018. Mm. So 20% of people wow. died from fossil fuel pollution. And 90% of those deaths occur in developing countries. Yeah. So anything, of course, we can only directly influence our own country. But any, if there's any way we can use our policies to incentivize foreign governments to do better in protecting the health and lives mm-hmm. of their citizens and children everywhere that's something that you know we should get behind that's something that republicans would totally get behind evangelicals and anyone who really cares for you know the health and lives of people around the world
1: Reverend Dr. Jessica Mormon, um, as noted, I want to talk about EEN's interest in this. Uh, You're their uh, president and CEO, but you are also... Helpfully, a uh, Ph.D. in Earth and Atmospheric Sciences. So I'm wondering, uh, before we get uh, your thoughts on on all of that, if you could give us your thoughts as a scientist on the fifth National Climate Assessment released by the U.S. this week that we've been talking about. And I know it's only 2,200 pages, but I'm sure you have read all of them by now. Am I right?
4: Oh, absolutely. And this is a big deal. (laughs) This is a big deal, the fifth national climate assessment. Um, I was actually at the White House yesterday for the release, mm, nice. and this brought together over 500 scientist experts here in the U.S. Uh-huh. from our universities to our national labs to NASA, bringing to bear what is the state of our climate and how is it impacting our communities mm-hmm. and everyday Americans across different regions, across different sectors. And uh, so this, I have to say, it is a great achievement mm-hmm. to put out such a comprehensive report like this.
1: As terrifying as it is to read, frankly, although I should note, uh, and since you're at the White House, I, I guess you were here for this uh, President Biden had announced six billion dollars uh, of additional new investments uh, to help mitigate against pretty much everything the report is talking about here in the U.S. Um, let me talk about this carbon border adjustment fee because it's it kind of s- s- jumped out at me since we see so few. Uh, uh, You know, ideas put forward by Republicans that actually really do seem to deal with uh, climate concerns. Why is this particular effort, the uh, carbon border adjustment fee or tax, why is that something that falls in line with the mission of the Evangelical Environmental Network? And how much of that has to do with the fact that it is one of those uh, all too rare climate proposals in the U.S. that actually is being put forward by Republicans?
4: Yes, I think as we look at one of the big findings from this report, and one of their their top lines is they note that here in the U.S.,
5: Mm
4: -hmm. our emissions have been falling Mm -hmm. since 2007. Mm -hmm. We peaked in 2007, and so we still have a lot of work to be done here in the U.S. to reach our carbon reduction goals. It's so great to hear the president um, continuing to invest in making sure that everyone has that healthy environment to thrive in. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see as our mission at EEN, of uh, defending the life of every single child so that they can reach their God-given potential. That means having a safe climate to uh, thrive in. But in the U.S., we can't do it alone. Right now, global carbon emissions continue to rise. And so we need to have, uh, uh, this has to be a global effort America can't do it alone, and that's why this bill is so important, is it provides a market market incentive for developing countries, Mm -hmm. industries that happen to be located there Mm -hmm. to either match our environmental standards or pay a fee, and again, as uh, Matthew already mentioned, This is so important to us, both for supporting American clean industry and manufacturing here in the U.S., Mm -hmm. making sure that uh, there's those incentives to keep those jobs here and do these right environmental practices that we need to see, but then also ensuring that no matter where you live, they deserve clean air, too. And that's why this bill is such an important mechanism for helping achieve that.
1: You know, I, and and I'm I'm you know very cynical after all of these years, and I see oh it's a uh, a, a proposal put out by Republicans. What's the uh, the Hill headline? The global climate solution Republicans have been looking for. I am both so happy to see that and terrified at the same time that there are some sort of uh, poison pills in this legislation, something that I'm not noticing. Um, Is this something Jessica, that we can, we can actually feel uh, good about and and get behind all of us, whether Republican, democratic, independent, or anything else.
4: It absolutely is. And again, I, I understand your skepticism. um, But as we evaluate here at the evangelical environmental network, as we're looking at policy options, We Mm -hmm. always evaluate it from first. Does it defend life? Mm -hmm. Does it make sure that it's uh, defending the health and livelihoods of all people? Does it protect the environment or as we see it, God's creation? Mm -hmm. And then also, does it support uh, those uh, family-sustaining careers in the clean economy? And this one checks all of those boxes. Mm -hmm. And so um, what we see this as, again, being one of those... uh, Moments to celebrate mm-hmm. and applaud, give that positive encouragement. And as I look at um, Republican support for climate action mm-hmm. across uh, the last several years, there has been a lot to celebrate. We've got the bipartisan su- Uh, Bipartisan Solutions Caucus, Climate Mm -hmm. Solutions Caucus in the Senate, the Republican co-sponsor and caucus leader of that, Senator Mike Braun from Indiana, when he asked what brought him to the table um, to join that caucus and then also uh, support an excellent bill that passed last year called the Growing Climate Solutions Act. He said it was young conservatives, farmers, and evangelicals who he's hearing from them. He's hearing from us that Republicans shouldn't shy away from common sense climate bills. And that's what we're seeing with the Foreign Pollution Act. But again, it's more than just climate. This bill has so many benefits that should bring Republicans and Democrats to the table, um, whether that is, again, supporting American clean industry, manufacturing, American workers, American communities, but then also cleaning up our air all over the world. Um, There's a lot uh, of good stuff in this bill that Mm -hmm. should bring folks to the table. And we're really excited at EEN to continue to come alongside um, Republicans and Democrats to come together around these common sense climate solutions that have a range of, of benefits um, that we really see that as our ministry of bringing folks together.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to take you at your word, since you're a woman of God, that this uh, this bill doesn't have any poison pills, that it is, in fact, good news. And And I thank you for understanding my skepticism here. I am trying to overcome it because as you know, a huge swath, really, of the evangelical community in recent decades has fallen in line with the Republican Party. Now, we we spoke some years ago on this program with EEN's then president, Reverend Mitch Hescox. I, I believe it was about the evangelical community's response to Pope Francis's landmark environmental encyclical at the time, back in 2015, but um, I know there is a split, obviously, in that evangelical community regarding climate. And, uh, you know, I think many people just assume that the evangelical community is going along with the, the climate deniers that we see uh, on uh, too many of on the Republican side. How has your group been working to sort of um, win over converts, if you will, uh, in that in that uh, battle?
4: Yeah, we are seeing a real shift in our community. And so as evangelists, we are people who take the Bible seriously. And so that means that we also have to take seriously our biblical mandate to care for God's creation. And what we find is that, especially whenever we talk about it in this framing, take climate out of the partisan political space, the, the culture war space, and really rooted in scripture, in our faith of following through on our values of honoring God, who he's the creator of, as we see it as evangelicals, the creator of this incredible world, honoring him by taking that, that stewardship mandate seriously, mm-hmm. and also loving our neighbor by ensuring that they have that healthy environment and safe climate to thrive in. This is part of our, our Christian faith. And what we find actually, you look throughout history and you actually find that Christians for centuries have been treating environmental issues as moral issues. And it's only been in the last couple decades, especially with culture wars and hyper politicization, that uh, we've been divorced
3: mm-hmm. from
4: from that mandate. Mm-hmm. And for us, we see this, again, reclaiming rediscovering that biblical mandate, this is something foundational to our faith, Mm -hmm. not something new and radical that we are taking on. This is really a coming back to our roots. And so when we engage with fellow evangelicals, as well as other conservatives, they hold a deep commitment to defending the life of every single child also. And so, again, that means if we're really going to take that commitment seriously, Mm -hmm. That means also addressing the harms from pollution and climate-fueled extreme weather. And we've seen two reports come out uh, this week, the Fifth National Climate Assessment that finds that children are among the most vulnerable and most at risk for climate harms. We also just had out today the Lancet Climate Countdown that looks at, uh, the Lancet's one of the premier medical journals Mm -hmm. out there Mm -hmm. looking at the intersection of climate and health and also finds that children and all people around the world are at risk of uh, harms from pollution, harms from climate. And again, as Matthew had said, one in five deaths, 20% of deaths can be attributed to fossil fuel pollution. Yeah. This is something we've got to be paying attention to.
1: You guys are uh, doing such important work, frankly, uh, over so many years now. I can't thank you enough for that. Matthew, uh, before we get out, Matthew Lee, what is the what is the status of the Foreign Pollution Fee Act of 2023, as the uh, carbon border adjustment fee is called? It, it sounds like something, especially as it comes from Republicans, related to climate, of all things. It sounds like something that our current president would very much get behind is he doing so? And and frankly, the larger question, are Republicans, other than the three current sponsors, uh, Cassidy, Graham and Wicker, doing so as well?
5: Yeah. So actually, um, so the, the bill's been introduced, um, but one of the co-sponsors, unfortunately, pulled out. So there are only two currently. Really? Um, Which one? Yes. Wicker, um, oh. Senator Wicker. OK. But um, I, I do think that that is a sign of maybe some confusion among republicans on what this bill really does because as we as we mentioned this bill is really a win-win for american workers for the american economy industry because it's going to bring jobs back it's going to bring our industrial base back and it has amazing climate benefits as well and so this is something that republicans should really get behind it's really great for america and I think the fact that um, you know, some some republican lawmakers have been getting pushed back on this bill really points to some confusion surrounding what this bill actually does. Mm. Um so hopefully, you know, by by clearing up um these points, um, we can get more support from Republicans.
1: It's interesting that Roger Wicker pulled out. Any idea why was, was he in fact getting a blowback from his colleagues? Well, I
5: think he did, but also I think um, he uh, he said that he had signed on to the bill a long time ago, probably when it was in in an earlier stage and um, and he hadn't really seen the, the more final draft, so it doesn't mean that he's out uh, for for good um, I think he just needs to reevaluate and you know reassess mm.
4: Yeah, Matthew's absolutely right here in that this is a big bill also. It's going to take some folks some time to digest it. And in this new cycle of where um, quick takes, it will take some time for folks to dig in and really discover and understand all of the benefits that do come from the bill. What we see is that industry really supports this bill. Mm. The steel, aluminum, even Mm -hmm. oil and gas Mm -hmm. is supporting this bill and so that should make Republicans pay attention. It should give this a, a second look.
1: It should make them give it a second look. Uh, let's hope it does. Uh, Reverend Doctor Jessica Mormon and Matthew Lee, both of the Evangelical Environmental Network. You can find their work at creationcare dot org. You can follow them on the site still known as Twitter at creation care. Uh, really appreciate both of you uh, joining us today on the program and please uh, keep us up to date as this bill moves forward, if it moves forward as I hope it will. Thanks so much, Brad. You bet. Thanks, Brad. You bet. Thank you. Uh, the So, you know, we'll see if it moves forward the global <laughs> yes. climate solution Republicans have been looking for
2: are they really looking for this solution? Well, I think some of them are. I think some of them like Lindsey Graham have actually acknowledged that hey, climate change is a problem, he just hates all the solutions, and I think that you young Republicans have tried to get the Republican Party to take some kind of action, even if it's just market-based action which, you know, this would be considered yes, a market-based tool, but right? of course the Devil's going to be in the details on how it is actually written. And it is important. Matthew made an important point that, you know, with offshoring U.S. manufacturing, we are effectively exporting U.S. carbon emissions and pollution to developing countries. And that is just not fair.
1: Yeah, please uh, produce it over there. It'll be less expensive for us back here, and you guys take all the emissions that come with all right. the deadly emissions that come with it. Good luck to you.
2: Yeah, and one more point. It is yeah. media malpractice to me that our major media outlets have barely covered the National Climate Assessment mm. with the same vigor and detail as they have covered, you know, Kevin McCarthy shoving one of his fellow Republican congressmen. Well, that's
1: important. I, I mean, mean he, it was an elbow. That could be very dangerous. <laughs> sharp elbows. You never know. Oh, yeah. Know. But,
2: you know, the, the, the point, though, is that there are so many solutions in this report, but most Americans don't know about them because— the corporate media isn't reporting on them And one of the biggest things we can do Dr. Katherine Hayhoe, a climate scientist And an evangelical mm-hmm. uh, She says the most right. important thing we can do is talk About climate change and solutions With our family and friends And the holidays are coming up So that is a good time to talk About solutions. We'll have resources
1: A at good our... time? Isn't that a good time At Thanksgiving? Is that a good time? I
2: think if we talk about Solutions and our shared values of Cleaner air and water, I think that will
1: Well, here's an idea: if you're uh, if you have you know if you're a Democrat or independent, you got Republican uh, family members. Just say, "Hey, I agree with this Republican idea to uh, tax uh, imports that have been produced elsewhere." I agree with Lindsey Graham. Let him know (laughs) you agree with Lindsey Graham. There you go. That might work. We'll see. We'll test it out. Okay, got to get out. My uh, thanks once again to my guest today, Matthew Lee, and Reverend Dr. Jessica Mormon of the Evangelical Environmental Network, to my producer, Desi Doyne, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free anytime. No paywall at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who... Find a moment to click one of those donate buttons. It would be greatly appreciated. It is much needed. Or you can go straight to bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. Love to hear from you. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebook's Mastodons and site still known as Twitter, you will find me at the Brad Blog. Love to hear from you there as well. See you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> You're listening to The Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate.
3: I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1919. That was the day that federal agents stormed the offices of the industrial workers of the world in New York City. They were looking for evidence connecting the organization to radical communists or anarchists. The ransacked office was part of the infamous Palmer Raids when Attorney General Alexander Palmer responded to the growing Red Scare hysteria by raiding the offices of leftist organizations and arresting thousands. Hundreds of immigrants to the United States were deported during the raids without legal due process. The 1917 Russian Revolution had stoked fears about a spreading communist threat. Newspaper headlines helped to drum up public panic. A week before the IWW raid, a headline on the front page of the Evening World published in New York City declared Reds in U.S. Plotted Revolution. Deportation for all radicals. The day after the IWW raid, a Washington Post headline read, Law to Crush Reds. Writing in 1920, Attorney General Palmer warned, quote, The chief appeal communism makes is to the worker. If they can lure the wage earner to join their own gang of thieves, if they can show him that he will be rich if he steals. So far, they have succeeded in betraying him to their own criminal courts. Palmer went on to describe how communists had, quote, stirred discontent, caused irritating strikes, and infected our social ideas with the disease of their own minds and their unclean morals. Palmer's references to workers and irritating strikes demonstrate that he perceived the labor movement as part of the communist threat. Anti-communist hysteria took its toll on the most radical elements of the U.S. labor movement, especially the IWW.